Today we have Katie Threlkeld, MSCCCSLP. She is a doctoral candidate at the University of Missouri and the educational program developer at Forbes AAC. Her yes. clinical specialties are in AAC, oral yep. rehabilitation, yeah. <laughs> neurogenic communication disorders, and motor speech disorders. She has over eight years of experience in AT and AAC assessment and treatment across the lifespan. Her goal is to provide all AAC users and those around them with evidence-based information for best practice in AAC. Welcome, Katie. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> all right, so I wanted to start off um, with your doctoral candidacy. Um, mm -hmm. What made you decide to go for your PhD? I'm assuming it's a PhD, not clinical. Yes, yeah. yep, you got it. <laughs> yeah, so I was doing a lot of clinical supervision um, at the outpatient clinic I was working at and really enjoyed the mentorship and guidance and, and teaching that I was doing in that setting. And also as I started practicing uh, right out of grad school, I didn't really know what areas I was super interested in. And so once I got into AAC, got into motor speech disorders, um, I started reading a lot more and looking into the research that was out there. And so the combination of my interest in specific areas with my uh, interest in love for mentoring and teaching about speech pathology kind of combined and guided me towards that PhD route. Awesome. I, yeah. I considered it and um, I feel like I'm too general. I'm too much of a generalist. No, no you can do see, it. Say, yeah. say, what do you think about that? But it's a commitment, man. It is yeah. a, uh, yeah. it's more than a full-time job. I'll say that. I can, I'm actually impressed that you were able to find a time that was able to work yeah. with you and your schedule just because, uh, I know I was looking at doing a clinical doctorate for a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was not accepted, uh, okay. that there was a lot of reasons for that. Um, and yeah. it, was, it ended up not being a good time anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it all works out, it, right? It, yeah. The time commitment that would have gone into it. I just like, maybe it was a good thing. <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's really impressive. Um, yeah, it just, yeah, it's a full-time job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mentioned you love AAC. Um, yes. What made you fall in love with it and decide to specialize into that? Yeah, I think the reason I fell in love with AAC was um, it's kind of twofold. So first, uh, when I was doing my CF in the schools, I that was my first role. I would say experience with a wide range of AAC, you know, outside of that really controlled structured graduate setting. This was my first time in the real world. And I got to see low tech, high tech um, in the classroom, in the speech room, on the playground, and seeing the various ways kids with a wide range of abilities could communicate was just so interesting to me. Um, and then when I got my second job at outpatient pediatric clinic, we were doing working with a lot of really complex kiddos, so complex motor needs, cognitive needs, speech and language needs. And I learned so much from the OTs and PTs I worked with, um, a lot about like alternate access methods and how important seating and positioning is and how all of this goes into AAC. And so it was kind of a, a combination of seeing an action and then just diving into learning more and more about it. Uh, I like that it changes all the time. I mean, it's 2022, things are constantly changing. Uh, you know, that to me is super fascinating. Even just getting, I taught AAC last summer, I'm teaching again this summer. I'm like, look at the things that have changed in a year. So the ongoing ever present uh, progress in this area is really cool. So you're teaching an actual dedicated class to AAC? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, so that's the, amazing. Like when yeah. I was, I mean, I don't know if it's by mm. school or if it was the, the t- typical, uh, I graduated in 2007 with my master's. So it's been a, it's been a few, a few years. <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, and we had an hour dedicated time period, like in one section of a class that we had one hour where we talked about AAC. And I, so I really feel like it's, it's completely out of my yeah. knowledge. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's uncommon. I think that, uh, is more common than not. Yeah. And then, uh, on the flip side, uh, as a mother to a three-year-old who were debating on if we need to go that route with, um, so that's a different, it's a different angle as well. Like, so, you know, coming from a totally new perspective. Uh, yeah. Different perspective. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what, and I'm sure this, you could go on if you're teaching the entire class, <laughs> hours on this. What do I, as a rural speech therapist need to know, uh, generalist need to know about mm-hmm. AAC? What can I bring? And, and I know it will differ very depending on what, um, where you're, what population you're working with, of course, but mm-hmm. what do I need to know? What's what basics do I need? <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, there's like three things I wanted to hit when I saw this question. Um, First, I think it's important to know that every single person, verbal or nonverbal, is a multimodal communicator. And so regardless of what you can get your hands on, whether it's high tech, low tech, light tech, whatever it may be, you can find a way to allow this person who is requiring or needing some sort of alternate method, you can find a way to create some sort of multimodal communication opportunities. Um, and so I think that's really important because people really want it to be one system or one type of AC and they want to put people in one box. And that's just not the case. I do this with my hands all the time. And that is a form of communication, right? Um, I communicate with my hands. I need to like put them in my pocket. Um, and so I think that's important to think about is that Everyone, regardless of age, diagnosis, setting, working in, could and can be a multimodal communicator. And it's our job as clinicians to be creative and attentive to what kind of different modes, different AAC options that that person could communicate with. So I think that's important. And that ties into, for me, the low tech and high tech options. So we know low tech. Um, that is any form of assistive technology that is not going to require a battery or a plug-in, right? That could be a memory book and a sniff. That could be a picture exchange book that you've printed out photos. You know, you don't have to go through the whole PEX uh, training to still teach the concept of picture exchange, right? Um, so low tech can and always will be an option. If you have access to pictures, a printer, um, something, you can create a low-tech AAC option for anyone of any skill set and utilize that in your practice. And then tying into high-tech, I think people are, um, in my experience, really intimidated by high-tech AAC and don't understand the process or the funding or the evals, et cetera. And I think that can be uh, overwhelming. And so when I talk with generalists and especially, you know, individuals maybe in a rural area that don't have a lot of experience with high-tech AACs or evals, or they've referred someone and it took them 18 months to get it, which we've all been there. We get that. I think it's really important to know that, and it's very frustrating, um, 
it's very important to know that you don't always have to go through that big clinic, right? It's always going to depend on insurance. Missouri is one of the only states that requires, uh, where I live, requires a Medicaid-approved site, but we're getting away from that. Some of the managed Medicaids are not requiring that anymore. So if you are a rural SLP and you have an interest and um, A, learning about high-tech AAC, and B, if you have some patients on your caseload or in the setting that you're working in, by and far, I recommend reaching out to the multiple different AAC vendors that are out there. And I'm talking to all of them. You know, there's several out there. Reach out to them. Those vendors want to help you. They want to teach you. They have tons of resources online, and a lot of them are free. Uh, webinars, CEUs, resources to give to patients, parents, spouses, physicians. Um, those are options. And they can also set up uh, device demonstrations. And so that is something to really think about with high tech. It doesn't have to be such a big overwhelming process. You can always just reach out to a vendor and say, Hey, I have a patient. They present with this. I think high tech could be an option. Can we set up a zoom call and, uh, expose them to some of the devices? You know, that's one good thing with COVID is people have become a lot more comfortable with doing some of these, uh, virtual presentations. I, I agree. Yeah. That, that was not an option, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Five years ago, mm, no, it was really weird. Five years ago, but yeah, that, that is one of the few benefits. I know, I know. We try, we try to make a positive out of a, a exactly pretty bummer, but two tough, years, <laughs> tough two years, exactly. Thank you. That was that was mm -hmm. great. Um, so, and that it was like, oh, I'm refreshing my memory a little bit on. <laughs> it's in there, we went over that one there somewhere. That one it's, it's way back in there, but it's in there somewhere. Yeah, and and um, uh, yeah, and I've, I've used a lot of those in my practice, mm -hmm. like in the, um, and I didn't think of a memory book being considered AAC, but it is because that's it exactly is. what it, it is. Yeah. And I didn't think of that. Um, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times though I've, I found, you know, pre-made communication and medical communication boards, and they're just terrible. Like what? <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely. And maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a personal opinion. I don't know, mm -hmm. but like the, the graphics are just. Yeah, and each person's needs are so different. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, those are really in my mind created for like the ICU, you know, yeah, yeah. we need something quick and dirty. And that's probably but, what it is. That's probably yeah. where I picked it up from was. <laughs> yeah. And that's where a lot of them are created from. But yeah. if you're working in a, in a SNF or home health, you're going to need something a little more personalized to that user. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, that's what I've ended up doing a few times is actually cutting them out and mm -hmm. putting them together. I had one gentleman that needed of like a flip type thing mm -hmm. so that he yeah. could carry wrote them on his on his thing and um yeah so I just found the ones that he wanted the words that absolutely made sense for him um and he and it was multimodal which I I like that you comment on that because how often have we had trouble interpreting because our faces mm -hmm. are covered with masks lately absolutely it's a perfect example um mm -hmm. and yeah and here I am using my hands too so I know talking <laughs> like it's, it's like I need to sit on my hands yeah <laughs> For this particular gentleman, I mean, he had speech issues since he was a child, but he was now in his 80s or 70s or 80s post CVA on top of his prior communication challenges. He needed more than what he was already using. And so we came up with this little board and, and like it was just a little flip thing that he could like attach to his um, lanyard that he had around mm -hmm. his neck all the time. And I don't know how much he actually used it. So that that goes into my next next aspect of it is getting the client, getting the parents, getting the staff, getting the school, whoever it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, oh man, the joy of, uh, <laughs> AAC sometimes because it is, 
it, it takes a lot of uh, members to really buy into it. Yes. I think the biggest thing to think about is that um, I always compare it to learning another language. Someone can just set the Rosetta Stone CDs in front of me, in front of me for uh, learning Spanish. It doesn't mean I'm going to learn Spanish, right? It's the same thing with AAC. And that's regardless, you know, birth to 100. Um, you can put an AAC system in front of someone. But until you model and demonstrate and show and model and demonstrate and show them how to use that AAC system effectively and efficiently, it's just a piece of equipment, a piece of paper, a binder, right? Um, you know, people refer to it as aided language stimulation or modeling. Um, it's important for everyone. And that could be a two-year-old with ASD up to an 80-year-old that had a stroke and is now using some alternate forms of communication. You have to teach and model and be explicit in how you're giving instruction on how to use that for communication. And I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, I'm a big proponent of having spouses, caregivers, parents in the sessions with me. I know that's easier said than done, um, but having them be the model, uh, the person modeling it, the person doing that with the AAC user. So they become more comfortable and confident in their skills and then probably more likely to actually utilize it at home. Yeah, and somebody said to me uh, in a different interview um, about the right to communicate, mm -hmm. um, which uh, I, I really like the, the wording of that phrase, mm -hmm. like we have the right to communicate and by removing this device, <laughs> mm -hmm. whatever that device may be. And, you know, Hey, yeah. I get laryngitis. I'm miserable because uh -huh. I can't communicate. I can't yes. do my job. I, like, I will yeah. never forget the first time someone told me, um, they're like, well, he always tells me he wants the ball. So I just took ball off his device. It's yes. like, well, yeah. every time a child verbally says ball, do you put your hand on their mouth? No. no. You exactly. verbally explain it's not time to play with the ball right now. We're not doing that activity. We can do that later, you know. Um, so you have to teach them both how to uh, efficiently and effectively use it. And then also you have to teach them when it's appropriate to use it. And you can say, just like you do with a verbal child, right now we're not playing with the ball. We need to do our task of, you know, right. reading. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we'll do that later. Yes. Um, you know, the teacher, she didn't mean it that in a, in a way to take away his voice. It just, you know, it didn't occur to her. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. His voice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and that's our job to teach them that <laughs> Yeah, the ones who are more aware of that. You mentioned this briefly um, about the AAC mm. funding. So you mm. dig into that a little bit, because that feels very intimidating. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I've only had a few, I, I wouldn't say I have, a, have had a lot of cases where I needed to dig into that, but as a parent on the other side, mm -hmm. <laughs> very interested in that. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. so what does that, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. So, uh, man, that is a, you know, a mountain to climb really when we're thinking about AC funding, typically insurance is never going to cover any of those low to light tech options. Um, so that's going to come from creation by the SLP, uh, printing things out, creating things. Another option too, I think that's really important to know is that there is, uh, the Senate Board 40, there's an act that requires, uh, that provides states with a certain amount of funding and requires them to cover certain things. So, for example, in the state of Missouri, uh, we call it the SB 40, and different counties utilize that funding for different things. And that could be, you know, buying a switch and a switch toy, or it could be, you know, buying a light tech, you know, tech talk device or something like that. Um, there's options for that. And so, know too that it's not always 
having to go through insurance. There's a lot of funding opportunities out there, funding options. Um, and that's really important. I think maybe underutilized just because people don't know about it. Um, when you think about high tech, of course, that's when you're thinking about the funding process with insurance. And so it definitely is a state by state situation. Typically, you're going to have your private insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE. Those are going to be the four that we are usually seeing and usually uh, putting packets through as uh, AAC evaluator. That's usually who I was working with. It's going to depend, of course, Medicaid state by state. Medicare has you know, rules that are going to be the same across um, the country and typically the same with TRICARE. And then private insurance uh, is going to depend on each person. I will say if that's intimidating to you, if that is overwhelming, the first thing I would do is reach out to those vendors. They are getting paid to help you. Um, and that is their job. A lot of them will have like cheat sheets or quick start guides to how uh, to get the funding process going. Um, another thing I would recommend, the ASHA practice portal um, has tons of good information on funding and some other alternate funding resources. Uh, I would say to remember that the VA is really great if you have any ALS patients um, and Medicare automatically will cover a device if anyone has ALS. When you're thinking at pediatrics, if they are a child that has two insurers, you always have to go through private insurance first. If there's a denial, then typically Medicare will cover it, but you have to go through that process uh, with private first. So know that. And just know that, you know, those vendors, those people that are out there, they really are there to help. Um, you know, they want to help both the user and themselves because that's what they're there for is to sell a product. But at the same time, you know, they want to help the user. And so reach out to them, you know, get your resources from them and they can help answer a lot of questions. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I've always felt a little intimidated by reaching out to vendors because mm -hmm. I'm like, I know they're just going to try to sell me on whatever, <laughs> but maybe that's not the case that maybe that's just incorrect assumptions the, on my end. <laughs> yeah, I think the good thing, at least in my experience, is that almost all of the uh, AAC companies hire clinicians um, because people don't understand AAC to begin with. And <laughs> they definitely don't if you're some random salesperson, right? So typically they're going to hire clinicians and whether that's a uh, SLP or OT or maybe like someone with experience in rehab or rehab tech, something like that. You're going to hire someone with the knowledge base around AAC. And that typically means they're people who want to help, right? They're typically people who are empathetic and want to help the user profession to begin with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is going to help them, um, you know, from a sales standpoint, but typically at the core, they really are there to help the user um, and help the SLP as well. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're in Missouri. So you're mm -hmm kind of on that borderline of being a rural SLP yourself. Absolutely. And if yourself. I, and if I'm not, uh, I definitely work with a lot of rural SLPs. <laughs> I uh, would imagine. And thank yeah, God for uh, them. <laughs> I, I think I saw that you worked at Rusk for a period of time. Yeah. That right. Okay. I yep. we got a lot of referrals from Rusk when I worked in Missouri. So yeah, a lot of referrals from there. Um, yeah, that's a where I get my inpatient rehab fix. I yes, see yes. there, uh, and it's, I love it. Yep. Any thoughts on what, how to handle um, challenging relationships at the workplace? Uh, so maybe you have a teacher that's just, you, just this one teacher is just refusing to use the kid's AAC device, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody else is on board except this one person. <laughs> mm -hmm. What do you do in those situations? Oh, what a great uh, 
Great question. And um, one that we've all, we've all had. Every single one of us. I think, um, you know, it's, it's super tough um, in those scenarios, especially if it's just that one person. So there's a lot of things I've done um, in my experience, obviously provided, you know, research, education, uh, written information on why it's important to be utilizing that AC device in the classroom. Um, I've also done like, I'll just record the kiddo and I'll say, this is what, you know, little Susie can do with the device and this is what she can't and have a five minute, um, you know, it doesn't have to be long, two minutes of, uh, uh, going through story time with brown bear, brown bear, and all she can do is point. And then you put the device in and she can say brown bear, blue horse, yellow duck, um, you know, being really intentional about how you are demonstrating, you know, just telling them is one thing, but maybe actually yes. providing a, a demonstration and an example of what that looks like. Um, I think that can be important too. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So you're very, very busy. I can tell. Uh, how do you, do you have any ideas and recommendations on work-life balance? In ah, <laughs> uh, don't get a PhD. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, work-life balance. I think that's a great idea. I, um, I am very type A in that I will schedule in the balance. Uh, like one of my friends was like, Hey, I want to go to the new fantastic beast movie. I'm a big Harry Potter nerd. And I was like, great. When I'm putting it in my calendar, yeah. I'm saying, cause if not, I'll just talk about it and I'll put it off. And so I, you know, I'm a big proponent of writing it down, putting in your planner, whatever that might be. Um, I think too, you know, this was hard for me when I first started, um, a lot of my friends I first met, like as an adult out of grad school were coworkers, uh, which was great. I got along with my coworkers and, uh, had a lot of fun with them, but what would we end up talking about when we were out after work, you know, going to get dinner, we were talking about work. We were talking about tough patients, which was great. I learned so much from my PTs and OTs I work with, but you need to make sure you have that separation from work uh, as when you are having your balance doing that. Um, you know, I got really into orange theory, which like, it's so annoying that they're right when they say endorphins really, uh, are good for you, but getting a, you know, having a dedicated hour, whether that's yoga, sitting on the couch, working out, whatever that may be, you know, having that hour to just go and say, this is for me and no one else. I think that's really important. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. It's, oh, it's hard, but it's, it's like, it's, man, it's you guys so are right. Good. Yeah. 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 I love it. Uh, and I agree with, I, I think a lot of speech therapists are type A. <laughs> um, I think yeah. it's a, yeah, almost a requirement at this point. Yeah. <laughs> almost, yeah. And then all my OTs are like super, t- like, they're like, let's play into the rice. I'm like, no, do not get rice anywhere. <laughs> do you have anything you want to share about um, where we can find you and what you're currently working on or anything like that? Yeah. So I'm working, one of my friends has a uh, sister who's a graphic designer. She's helping me put a website together, but I don't have one quite yet. So, um, I will get back to you on that, but I am a mentor on the medical SLP collective. I do work for Forbes AAC and we're creating a lot of content, um, on there that hopefully is just really clinically relevant and can be utilized, you know, tomorrow. Uh, and then I have an Instagram and a LinkedIn. If you want to follow some on there and, you know, feel free to reach out questions. I'm here to help. That's all I wanted when I started was help, uh, especially in some of these more intimidating areas. And so I, I'm happy to help. Great. Thank you so much for being yes, on. Yes, absolutely.